Welcome to this podcast, the fourth in a series looking at providing national guidance on the management of COVID-19. I'm Ravi McGrath, consultant anaesthetist at Bart's Health, and today I'm joined by the very accomplished Dr. Mark Stacey. Mark is a consultant anaesthetist at Cardiff and Vale University Health Board. He's also the Associate Dean of New Initiatives, co-author on the recent DAS Awake Trachea Intubation Guidelines, and an active proponent of hum- on human factors training, particularly in resilience. Mark, welcome. Good morning, Ravi. We're now just over two months into the management of this pandemic in the UK and over the initial peak, but still in the midst of social lockdown. If there was ever a time to boost one's own level of resilience, it's now, surely. Um, A week ago, Professor Kaisley in Australia published a paper in the BMJ reviewing the psychological effects of virus outbreaks on healthcare workers. This included SARS, MERS, Ebola, as well as COVID-19. His team found that clinical staff in contact with infected patients had higher levels of psychological distress, acute or or post-traumatic stress and greater burnout. Factors increasing adverse psychological outcomes included forced redeployment, worries about family commitment, and the perceived lack of organisational support. Also very recently, Professor Neil Greenberg at the seriously sounding Health Protection Research Unit and Emergency Preparedness and Response at King's College London stated that clinicians were likely to experience negative thoughts about themselves, about others, when exposed to situations they feel unprepared for, finding themselves questioning their competency and training for the role. This is true, even the most experienced and resilient of clinicians. Uh, these are certainly some of the imp- issues impacting clinicians looking after pandemic patients currently. There's some very good material on the ICM Anesthesia COVID-19 Intercollegiate Hub on how to attain and maintain individual as well as group well-being through physical and mental support. The organisational support, for instance, being of prime importance from the basics of adequate nutrition, rest gaps and furnishings to easily located, up-to-date, local and national support. Also, staff should be encouraged to support each other from buddying systems to shift-end supervisor reviews. The hope being that reducing one's personal levels of stress maintains and develops one's well-being. So what we'll be discussing today is how we can mitigate the effects of stress on a day-to-day basis. Um, So Mark, the the terms stress management and well-being are are used regularly in everyday parlance, but in medicine seem to have gained much more acceptance and importance in recent times. Would you be able to perhaps disentangle these terms for us, please? Uh, I'll have a go. Uh, You've obviously gone into examiner mode. Are you an examiner by any chance? I, I mean, it's one of these sort of almost you start circular defining the words that you've, you've stated. For me, stress management is, is looking at a stress response and, and, and deciding how, you, how you're going to manage that in an appropriate fashion and developing skills that become part of your behavior over many years that enable you to, to deal with that particular demand. I mean, stress is just a demand. It's a physical or cognitive demand. And if we can cope with that demand, at times it might even be enjoyable. And if you think of some of the, if you go on a roller coaster or whitewater rafting, you might find that fun. Whereas dealing with some of the things we're dealing with at the moment are not quite so much fun. So I believe that 
for us, if we manage the, the variety of skills that we can learn, embed it in our behavior in such, a, in such a way that we cope and learn to cope with these demands, we can gradually learn to make them a, a useful component of, 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 of who we are. What we've got to remember is we've always got a choice. Uh, uh, and on the MedTrim course that I run, and which is based on some of Greenberg's work, interestingly, we actually don't talk about traumatic events. We talk about potentially traumatic events. Um, as human beings, we're superbly adapted for dealing with short-term physical emergencies. But unfortunately, when we activate this complex physiological response to it over a chronic period of time, it tends to lead to health problems in the future. And that kind of summarizes, I think, what you've said. Well-being is, includes stress management as, as, as a component, but it's, it's the experience of health, happiness, and prosperity. Um, ideally, you want to have good mental health, high life, high life satisfaction, and an ability and the skills to, 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 to deal with, with stress appropriately. Um, it also, you know, is, is affected by other things that we, that we can't control, our income, uh, how we deal with uh, being isolated or self-isolated, and how we deal with the people that we, that we work with. Mark, why is stress management of particular importance now? I'm talking about personal stress management. I, I think it's, it's, to be honest, Ravi, it's always been crucial. I think that we've underestimated how valuable it is in our... In our, in our work and, in, and for our health. It, it, stress basically, if, if it's not well managed, will make us sick, both in the short term and the long term. Uh, and if in the short term, if we don't manage our stressors appropriately, there's a very real risk that we can harm other people. Um, and by harming other people, we can then potentially suffer from things like uh, second victim effect uh, or even third victim effect. Can in I the long term, what those mean? <laughs> sorry. So second victim effect is where, unfortunately, let's say something happens to a patient and we then blame ourselves for, the, for what's happened to that patient, the, the, the negative things that have happened to that patient. The third victim effect is where you take that home and you affect and, um, your, your relationship with your, your partner or your children or, or other members of your family. Um, and these have been recognized in the, in the psychological terms primarily because the individual who is dealing with that initial emotional stress or has, has, has offloaded that onto other people. Um, so go on. So I was going to ask what specifically during the, this current time when we're managing these patients or anticipating managing these COVID-19 patients, as, as well as the direct risk of infection, what other stressors are we kind of exposed to? <laughs> well, lots really. I, I think um, one of the things I've noticed at work is that there, there, is, there, is, there is a significant amount degree of worry about, about COVID-19. Uh, many of my colleagues worry about taking the disease back to their families. Uh, they worry about infecting their families. I, I think, and I think that there's a, there's a concern that as we come out of isolation, how do we start returning to normal behavioral patterns, being able to, for example, hug our grandchildren or our children. I'm not sure these are things that we can change, but we can try and modify the way that we feel about that by ensuring that we know as much about the disease as we can and by practical procedures such as ensuring that you know we wash our hands regularly and we're aware of, uh, of the issues of, of disease transfer 
I think the other things that are genuinely starting to make people concerned is this, this feeling of social isolation. Human beings in general are, are very social animals and not being able to, to talk with your friends, to have face-to-face -face contact with your friends and your family, I, I think is quite worrying. And I think that there is a knock-on effect that perhaps hasn't been addressed in terms of some of the, the, the side effects of social isolation. Um, Mark, what about if you're an anaesthetist and you're suddenly finding yourself working in an intensive care unit or you're a pain consultant and you're, you're put into a similar sort of situation? I mean, these are very unusual working environments for some team members. How does that um, affect the individual? Well, it, it can affect people. We, we hate uncertainty, Ravi, and I think it, it can affect people in a very negative way. One of the ways that I've tried to encourage my colleagues to, to, to deal with this is, is to say, what can you learn about it? And, and the donning and doffing that you used as an example is a very good one. Uh, if you're not familiar with donning and doffing, then the fear of donning and doffing becomes an issue in its own right. But that is something that, that we can all learn. And then I suppose my philosophy is very simple. I think we've got to realize that we have a, we're very skilled individuals and we need to use those skills as, as well as we can. The only way we can do that is by managing our cognition or the way that we think about it in, 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 a, in a sensible and, and, and positive fashion. If you can actually get them to summarize what they're actually frightened of, once they make that, that fear overt, then they can actually start to develop strategies to deal with it in, in, a, in, a, in a sensible and, and appropriate fashion. I think what you're saying is absolutely correct in that, that sometimes, especially in doctors, we're very unkeen to expose ourselves to others and say that you know, this is, we are in a stressful situation and admit they are stressed. So how do we identify stress in, as well as ourselves, how do we identify it in others as well? Well, I think identifying ourselves, we're not terribly good at identifying ourselves, to be honest. So we have to use others to calibrate it. So one of the things that I've looked at over the years is looking at wearables to, uh, to calibrate your own stress and, and, and link the sort of wearable physiology. Uh, there's some very good wearable physiology processes that you can use. And then you, if you link that to a diary, you start to understand how your own body responds appropriately or inappropriately to a stressful response. I, I tend to divide the sort of recognition factors into three components, uh, how you feel and how you behave and how you might actually be physically affected. So in terms of feeling, people will often feel anxious. They might be de depressed. They may have a very flat affect, sense of dread, uh, worried about your health, which is uh, very, very common at the moment. In terms of behavior, uh, one of the things I find pretty consistently is that people make very poor decisions. Their, their worry makes them ineffectual. Uh, they tend to lose their temper and other behavioral things that you may pick up by questioning rather than by, by observing are things like eating too much or too little or drinking and smoking uh, more than usual. Physically, one of the things that you will notice or one of the things I've certainly noticed both in patients and in staff is when they start uh, hyperventilating. It's a very distressing thing sometimes to see one of your colleagues having a panic attack. One of the questions I regularly ask is how well they're sleeping because problems getting to sleep or, or staying asleep can be a real issue. Uh, and then there are all the sort of health signs that, that may be uh, harbing as of something actually serious. Headaches, chest pain, indigestion, um, feeling sick, dizzy, etc. You know, one of my colleagues recently said to me, he was having a panic attack 
said that it feels like the world is closing in on me. I can't breathe and I'm running out of time. And it can be very distressing for them and, and for, and for our, the observers. It's very easy to imagine somebody, uh, especially if they're in PPE, being becoming anxious, uh, looking after these patients. What would your advice be to somebody who is you know, wrapped up in many layers of PPE? Are they hot? They're tired? There's pain from the mask? And they're now starting to panic. Is there any advice you can give to the individual? It's 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 a very yes it's 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 a very frightening thing. But I think both both for the person wearing the PPE, but also for the patients. One one of the techniques I've used for many years is is a technique called box breathing, which is is a again it's a conscious skill that I practice every day. But I particularly practice when I can feel that degree of terror building up. And it's very simple. You breathe in for the count of four hold for the count of four, out for the count of four, hold for the count of four. And what I find is if I do that four times, my, it, my, I can feel my heart rate slowing down. I can feel some of the sympathetic responses that I described earlier settling down. And I can feel that I'm starting to get control of, of, of me. I, I teach it to everybody. I, I found that the patients use it, uh, the, my, my staff use it. Uh, and one of the things that we started trying to do is to start using it prophylactically so that we we use it before that, that that feeling of terror and panic starts to build. I think now it's probably not a, not a great time to be doing brand new things, is it? So practicing something like this beforehand is probably an excellent idea. Mark, what, what happens if we ignore these feelings of irritability, anxiety, insomnia? I mean, where six, seven weeks into, into new rotors, perhaps, if we continue to ignore these um, symptoms and signs, what are the consequences? Well, I think we're going to get sick. I mean, one of the, 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 the there is an extensive amount of research on the, the effect of good stress management on your immune system and the effect of not managing stress on, on your immune system. Uh, I don't know about you, but at the moment, the only thing that I can think of to manage my own personal sort of ability to deal with COVID is to maximize my immune system. So anything that improves my, the way I manage stress uh, is, is going to do that. I, I think we're storing up problems for the long term. I think that there will be issues. Uh, I'm hoping not, but I think people will come out of this uh, once things do start to settle down uh, in a different way to, to the way they were before. Perhaps fear of going to work, increased uh, sick leave, um, and a variety of long-term health conditions, you know, cardiac disease, uh, metabolic diseases, increased diabetes, that kind of thing. The, there's been an extensive, even before COVID, there was an extensive amount of concern around the issue of burnout in clinicians. Um, and burnout is a very significant and worrying psychological um, health issue. And obviously, if, one of the things that we've noticed in this current responses that were actually we're short on health professionals to look after these patients. And mm. if more of them go off sick, we're going to be in an even bigger difficulty after, after think, they come out the other side. I think that's absolutely true. Okay, so I'm allocated to an ICU area next week that I'm not familiar with. Um, I'm worried before I go to work about being allocated to this area. On a practical level, how do I manage my level of anxiety and how do I cope throughout the day? Could you perhaps talk us through a, a day of managing our, our personal levels of stress? Sure. Um, I sus yeah, I, I'll tell you what I would do and then you can see if you think it's a sensible approach. Really, The, the first thing is, is look at the geography 
if it's a unit I haven't worked in before, I like to have a look at the geography and try and get try and get a feel for what their normal working pattern is when I'm not actually working there. And I think certainly with the current shift patterns that we're doing, we should all be given the opportunity for to, to do that. The next thing is I have a sort of almost prophylactic sort of stress management response to to any situation that I'm unfamiliar with, uh, and that would start the day before by ensuring that as far as possible I, I maximise my sleep and. Uh, one of my key issues is, is banning the phone from the bedroom. I think phones are very bad for our sleep. Um, I often say there are only two things you should do in the bedroom and they, they both begin with S. So moving on then, getting up in the morning, start the day, smile, fed and watered. Uh, I, I, I always, always have breakfast because I never know quite what's going to happen to me the first minute I cross into, into the ward I'm working in. I tend not to look at my phone until I actually need to. Uh, I'm very lucky in that I cycle to work, which gives me opportunity to just get my brain in a, in a nice neutral position, preparing for, for the difficulties of the day. If you can't cycle, can you walk? If you can't walk or cycle, then try and have a mindful drive. Uh, one of my colleagues who drives to work always tries to let in five people on their on their way to work probably not such a problem now with the current no, uh, not at all. Be lucky to find five people on the road these days um <laughs> you, you mentioned previously to me the, the halt acronym um how useful is that at the beginning of the day oh i think it's 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 crucial i think i, I think the halt says so halt is hungry angry late tired um the hungry bit is make sure that you're not hungry these are actually not recommendations they're things to avoid obviously you don't want to turn up to work angry so ideally leave your uh, home troubles at home. Don't turn up late. The effect that has on your colleagues is, is, is not positive. And if you're tired, you're gonna struggle through the day, particularly if you're working in a, in a high performance environment like an intensive care, intensive care unit. So having arrived at work, we, we have a team briefing every morning. I, I assume you would in an intensive care unit, particularly if you're working there for the first time. I'd like to know as many of the new team members as I can. Obviously, depends on the size of the team. I like to know what the tasks that are being lined up for the day are and whether or not you've got specific uh, standard operating procedures and what I need to know about those operating procedures and how we're planning our day. We're big on planning in, in anaesthetics. I think we like, as I always say to people, plan your, plan your days, plan your weeks, plan your months. The, the reality of the current situation is actually I don't plan anything more than a week at the moment. The names is tricky. I, I don't know how you've addressed the, the name situation with PPE. We've stuck labels on our, our visors, but we're probably not as sort of heavily PPE'd as some of the, the hospitals have been in London. So we just, we're pretty basic, but we have a felt pen and we have, we wear pinnies over our surgical gowns and, and we just get somebody to write our name on it. Um, and it's just an, an our names and sometimes on ICUs where you're not known somebody puts airway doctor so that if you're needed immediately um, they can identify you because otherwise it's it's very difficult I mean you often find when you're outside donning and doffing you're chatting to people going did I not work with you for 12 hours yesterday it is quite difficult to communicate isn't it it's it's terribly difficult and uh, we've done a couple of uh, GA case significant GA cases on labor ward with full PPE and it, it does make the things that we're used to doing that we we do really well really really challenging and as you say you can come out of that situation not even realize the person standing next to you is the person that you're working with. So Mark can I take you back to the SAPs that you mentioned in anesthesia we're very big on SAPs but we don't often have them 
out printed out in theatre that we use. If you were perhaps doing a, a COVID positive tracheostomy, um, you may well be with team members you don't know. How, how would you plan for that procedure uh, and, and use an SAP specifically? Well, uh, what we do is we would go, we actually do, when we're doing to team briefing, we will go through the SOP then. Certainly if you're in theatre and you're doing something like, like the case you've prescribed, is to get, actually get one, I, I would allocate one individual to actually read it off as you go through it. it it's very interesting, again, even some, some of my very good, very experienced, uh, particularly my, my excellent trainees I've been working with in the last two months, who would normally look at their environment and say, right, how can I maximise the performance in this environment? And they just forget that. They'll have the video laryngoscope in the wrong place and then they'll wonder why they're struggling uh, you know simple things that they could they could dramatically improve so i think the sop is really valuable uh, we had a recent example after about five hour case where we couldn't actually remember the order in which to doff for example so i got the whole team to do it as as a team with an individual who hadn't been involved in the case going through the sop and that was something that you thought was very simple, but by the by the end of a four or five hour case, I think my brain had just stopped working. Absolutely. So, so what are the what are the components of uh, of your day? Do you find important then? Well, decision making is probably one of the keys, particularly as one of the more senior members of my team. Um, and I think if you're working in a new environment, uh, that can a lot of the decisions that we faced in the past we faced before, so we're quite good at dealing with. But if they're new stuff, it, you've got to be you've got to be aware that you may need to ask for help from unusual resources. I think it's important before you make that decision that you pause. One of the sort of cognitive processes I encourage the people I work with to play the what ifs game. So if, you know, what if this happens, what are we going to do? If, we can, if we're going to do that, can we do that? Um, and get them to work through it to a sort of logical conclusion. It's, it's really, really important, I think, in this environment to use your team because the, the knowledge of the team is far, far greater than the knowledge of the individual. If we get the decisions right, everything follows from there. If you get the decisions wrong, it's sometimes very difficult to rescue that particular situation. And also, it's, very, it's important to do this before you are in an environment when it's difficult to communicate. So during the team, during the team brief, sort of ensuring um, the whole team being on the same page um and and so what, what do you call it you call team situation awareness is that correct absolutely and I, and i think what you're trying to do is you're trying to broaden the um the working memory of, of that group because the working memory of an individual is almost certainly going to be affected by the stress and the ppe and and all the other things that they're trying to deal with mark you talked about decision making so how do we often we are faced with the decisions that uh, we are not used to so in a in a in a day where we're in an environment that we're not that used to, how do we reduce the stress of making decisions, especially if it's, if it's new or unusual? Well, one of the techniques I use is something based around an acronym called RAP. So RAP stands for widen your options, reality test your assumptions, assume some distance and prepare for failure. So the widen your options is just by asking the question, is there another option for what I'm trying to do? will often give you an insight into potentially a better solution or at least addressing and improving the own solution that you have. Reality test your assumptions. One of the great things about our brains is we can, we can visualize a, 
an outcome. And if you can, you go through the various, as I said earlier, the what ifs to work out, um, to work out potential solutions to that or potential outcomes to that decision. Assume some distance. If you can, come away from the, the, the decision. That's not always easy in the environment that we work in. But if you can do it, it's actually incredibly powerful because what you allow then is you start to allow your subconscious to, again, to, to tease through the bits of the decision and work out which bits are, are good and which bits are not quite so good. And the prepare for failure technique is a technique that I found very powerful over the last five or six years for two reasons, really. So one of the, it, it, it's a cognitive tool mentioned by a fellow called Gary Klein called a pre-mortem or anti-mortem, which is where what you do is you assume that the worst outcome possible will happen as a result of your decision. And then you fast forward six months and you're now standing up in front of the coroner and the coroner says to you, Dr. Stacy, what would you have done differently that day had you known that was the outcome? And if your decision is, well, I would have done nothing differently, then you go ahead and do it. But if your decision is, well, I'd have put an arterial line in or I'd have done something differently, you can only guess what the next question the coroner is going to ask you is. And the other, the other aspect to prepare for failure, which is something that I only really learned, I guess, quite late in my, in my consultant career, is that we can do everything right in this environment, and, but bad things will still happen to our patients. And emotionally, that's a technique that we, we have to learn to manage. But it's a skill and, and you can learn it. And, uh, um, you know, it's a skill that is worth learning. So we've, um, we've made all decisions. We've, uh, we've decided we've, uh, it's time for lunch. So is this a good time to hunker down on your own with your phone to catch up with texts and WhatsApps and, uh, and various other uh, Social support thing, you know, is, is so important. And, and the way we treat each other is, is really crucial. Um, so, again, I think stopping to eat something. Uh, I don't know what's happened in London. We've been very fortunate in Cardiff in that some of the local restaurants have been supplying food to the sort of the key areas, which is great, actually, because if you're stuck in theatre for several hours and then you come out and there's something for you to eat with your colleagues. Um, I, I, I sound uh, like a bit of a nag in, in my unit and that I've, I've banned the phones again, because I think if you're on your phone, you're not really concentrating on the people that you're with. And there's some evidence from a paper published last year that actually, if you're on your phone, it actually affects your, your, your performance when you go back to work afterwards. So and sit at a communal dining table and, and eat together. I, I like what uh, Chris Frerkoffen says, as he often says, to, to sit, ask people, is there anything I can do to make your day easier, which I, which I think is a, a great thing to do, especially around lunchtime. So Mark, once we get sorry, to eat... Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, again, it, it, it's an amazingly powerful question. One of the things that I will, I, I tend to do is to carry small packets of biscuits with me because not particularly... Bribing my, your colleagues. Well, if one of my midwives has not had a chance to have a break, it does get, you know, and I'll go make him a cup of tea. Yeah, But exactly. you're right, that, that, that is a brilliant question and, and kudos to, to, to Chris. I think, I think so, Mark, at the end of the day, should we just quickly change and rush off home is, is there value to things like team debriefs at the end of a normal day uh, absolutely and I, I, a normal and an abnormal day I think you know going through the things that we do well uh, I am I, I try and thank everybody as many of the people as I've worked with as I can um, I, I think one of the things I, I again I encourage my team to do and I do myself is I try and think of all the of the three just three things that I've done really well that day uh, so that I get to get get on my bike and head home and in a slightly better mood than perhaps when I initially left work. I, I think that sort of 
contact with individuals in terms of showing them that you appreciate what they've done and and they hopefully appreciate what you've done as well really important absolutely i think you know positive feedback from from anybody and to others is is crucially important and also time off i think you know where we're allowed annual leave we should be taking annual leave um so that we we do have time to rest mark we're going to start winding down now um any final pieces of advice that uh, you would give the individual to be able to mitigate their stress on a day-to-day basis? Well, I, th- I think your point about annual leave is, is really crucial. I, I think you, we've got to ha- learn how to rest better. Uh, in general, the people I work with, the very, very high-performing individuals, they tend to run their lives at, at an excessively high output rate, but it's not necessarily very good for us. And 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 the work I've done, certainly with sort of some of the elite military and, and the elite sport is that rest and relaxation is, is not a passive activity. It's a purposeful activity, breathing, posture. Um, I, I had a bad back about three, about seven or eight weeks ago, probably because I spent spending too much time on my computer. And it does, again, this, this sort of current sort of work pattern that we have, I suspect our posture isn't as good as it normally could be i think that there is you know address your exercise now's a really good time to to develop a a really good habit for aerobic exercise Uh, don't overdo it but a really good habit and i mentioned sleep before but i'll mention it again because i think it's so important really maximize your sleep if you can look at strategies to optimize and improve your sleep and the variety of those that we can use but those are those those would probably be my, my my big ones just just to finish really ravi i I think we should all become stress management experts, whether whatever happens around this this issue. You know, for your immune system's sake, if nothing else, but also for the people that we look after and the people that we that we live with. Thank you, Mark. That, that's fantastic. I think that's a great selection of takeaway advice for us to experiment with on a day-to-day basis. But I think not only are these useful tools for the current situation, but as you said, for everyday work and everyday life. Many thanks, Mark Stacey, and many thanks to you all for listening.